The book of Romans, chapter number 5, can be divided into three parts. It has three great themes that it teaches us. Verses 1 through 5, we read the benefits of justification by faith. In verses 6 through 11, the Bible describes the infinite nature of God's love. And you ought to read that and read it carefully because it is wonderful. The Bible says that if a man is a good man, someone might be willing to die for him as, as his substitute. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then it goes on to say that if God gave us his son when we were his enemies, how much more will he protect us and save us now that we've been reconciled to him? The infinite nature of God's love. Then verses 12 through 25, we find the contrast of sin and grace. I want you to notice as we look for a few minutes this morning, we're going to look at this great contrast of sin and grace. Grace. If you're going to understand what these verses are talking about, it's going to take some powerful meditation, some prayerful meditation. I'm going to show you a verse, and you're going to say, wow, wait a second, I don't really, ah, that's, that's, that's strong. I'm not really sure I know what that's saying. So I'm going to tell you what it's saying, but I'm going to ask you, don't just take my word for it. Take what I'm saying and take that verse and go back and say, okay, let's, let's understand what that verse is saying. Because as you read in the scripture reading, these are some pretty, uh, I'm going to make up a word here, trickily, trickily, make tricky an adverb, trickily written statements here. They're written in great detail for this reason, so that we can clearly see the difference between sin and grace. The great, Brother Corky, would you turn these fans on for me? Thank you. Everybody say, ah. The contrast between sin and grace. You look at the world and it's so confusing and crazy and you say, man, if God would open your eyes just to see the effects of sin versus the effects of grace, it would change your worldview. And these verses are going to show us that contrast. And even if you're saved, you're going to see some wonderful things here. I want you to notice first that the Bible says that Adam was the resemblance of Jesus. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Now notice, and we're talking about Adam, right? Okay, Adam who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam is the figure of him that was to come. Now, it's clear from the context that him that was to come is talking about Jesus. No no question about that. The word figure means resemblance. So Adam is the resemblance of Jesus. You say, well, how so? In this one simple way, and that it's going to expand upon, Adam did something that affected the whole race. And Jesus did something that affected the whole race. 
They said, well, wait a second. Jesus only affected the race from his day forward. No, that's not true. What Jesus did 4,000 years after God created man went all the way back to Adam. The Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The crucifixion of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ for man's sins, you may not be able to comprehend this, but it's what the Bible tells us, was already a done deal in eternity before God created Adam. That's why when Lucifer fell, when Lucifer Lucifer rebelled, he was slammed down immediately. Jesus said, I saw Lucifer fall as lightning from heaven. He was immediately done. So how come the same didn't happen to Adam and Eve? Because God had provided something for Adam and Eve. And that was God had provided a redeemer. It was already a done deal that if man should sin, there'd be a redeemer. So Jesus' sacrifice for sin didn't just work from his day forward. It reached all the way back from Adam. By the way, that's why Noah's Ark was so important, not just for the people who would be born later, but for the people who had already lived. Why? Because if the human race were slaughtered at Noah, roughly 2,000 years in, if the human race were destroyed at Noah, there would never be a redeemer Therefore, God would have to damn everybody before Noah because they were waiting and counting in a holding place, in a waiting place. They are waiting for the Redeemer to come. If the human race is destroyed, the Messiah never comes and redemption never happens. And everybody all the way back to Adam, including Adam, is damned to hell. Anyway, um, I hope I'm not over your heads this morning, but I guarantee you there's some folks here going, wow, that is so awesome. I never thought of that before. Stay with me. You're going to see some more here from the Bible. So Adam is the resemblance of Jesus. What Adam did resembles what Jesus did. Not in a comparison sense, but in a contrasting sense. Look at the beginning of verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. That's confirming that even though Adam and Jesus are similar, they are ultimately opposites. Understand this, the contrast of sin and grace is actually the contrast of Adam and Jesus. What follows that statement in verse 15 is a description of, of seven ways that Adam, the man of sin, was both similar to and opposite of Jesus, the man of grace. Adam, the man of sin, Jesus, the man of grace. Verse 15 through 21, each verse describes a different element of the contrast. There's seven verses. There's seven parts of the contrast. You really have to think if you want to comprehend these things. But I promise you it will be worth the strain on your brain if you do this because it will strengthen your faith in your salvation. Let me show you the seven contrasts of sin and grace. Contrast number one, verse 15. If through the offense of one many be dead, 
Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Contrast number one, sin brings death to all. Grace brings a gift to all. Now, I'm using the language of that verse. It'll tell us what the gift is later. But understand, Adam's sin brings death to all. But Jesus, the man of grace, brings grace to all. Now, by the way, if a hyper-Calvinist has accidentally snuckin' in here this morning, and snuckin' is a word because I said it is, if, an, if, if a hyper-Calvinist has... You might want to sneak out now because Romans chapter 5 is going to tear you to shreds. Because Romans chapter 5... See, a hyper-Calvinist believes that Jesus didn't die for everybody. He died for a select few. And if you're not one of the select few, you can just go to hell. That's what a hyper-Calvinist believes. Now, the Bible teaches, as you'll see again and again in Romans chapter 5, grace to all. Justification to all. Romans chapter 5 teaches that the the gift is available to as many people as as sin and death affected. Very clear in this passage. So just pay attention for that. If you've ever, maybe you have a coworker that's always trying to jam these five points down your throat. But it doesn't work with this passage of Scripture. Sin brings death to all. Grace brings a gift to all. Contrast number two, verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. I said, well, pastor, I'm lost. Okay, let me, let me rescue you. Come back. Stay with me. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this. When it says, not as it was by one the sin, so is the gift. He's stating again that there is a similarity. There's a resemblance between Adam and Jesus, but it is not an, they're not equals. They are a contrast. He's just reminding us. That's what it means when it says, not as it was by one the sin, so is the gift. He's showing us. There's a contrast, not a comparison. All right, so here's the contrast. Contrast number two. The power of sin is that one offense led to condemnation. Has it ever bothered you even a little bit? That one man's sin, really the Bible says one man, but we all know it started with one woman. Okay, that didn't fly too well, but I just thought I'd put it on the record there. But no, the Bible very clearly says one man and Adam was responsible for what his wife did. Did, Has it ever bothered you even a little bit that one man's offense would condemn the entire race? You know, I trust God, I take him at his word, I believe his judgment, but that just doesn't seem fair to me. Those are the rules of sin. The rules of sin are not fair. God is not the author of sin. And so if there's any injustice in the rules of sin, it's not with God. Sin is a poison. Sin is is a condemner. Sin is a complicator. There is nothing fair about sin. When you look at the world and you say, there's so many injustices in the world. There's so much unfairness in the world. That's why there can't be a God. No, you're wrong. 
There's so much, you're right, there's so much unfairness in the world. That's why there must be the existence of sin. Because sin is the author of confusion. Sin is the author of unfairness. Sin is the author of complication and injustice. And every time you want to look at the world and say, that's not fair, that's not fair that somebody be treated like that or that that happened to somebody, you can chalk it all up to the existence and the presence of sin. Sin is the great complicator. So the power of sin is that one offense led to condemnation. But you want to see grace? The power of grace is that many offenses led to justification. What? How does one sin condemn an entire race? Well, here's a better question for you. How do billions of sins lead to justification? Only through grace. All of my lives, all of your lives, all of our pride, every act of pride, every act of greed, every act of covetousness. I want that, I want that, I want that. Every act of of lust, impurity, every act of hatefulness, every act of selfishness. Man, I sure hope you're not thinking about anybody else because I don't know about you, I've got all I can handle just to think about Wow, that is a long list for Joe Vasek. Oh, my goodness. But it's not just talking about my many offenses. It's talking about your many offenses multiplied by however many billions of people have lived on this earth. How many offenses is that? How many zeros and commas have to come at the end of that number? One offense brought condemnation, but whatever that number is of lies and hateful thoughts, all those, you, we, know, we know all the sins. Well, we don't know all the sins, but we know there's a lot of them, are what led to justification. Do you not see that grace completely changes the math? Grace, it's hard to wrap your brain around the idea that one sin one time could lead to the damnation of the entire human race. That's difficult to comprehend. But even more difficult to comprehend is that many sins could lead to justification. Grace completely changes the math. It changes the rules. It's the ultimate game changer. Contrast number three, verse 17. Contrast number one, sin brings death to all, grace brings a gift to all. Contrast number two, the power of sin is that one offense leads to condemnation. The power of grace is that many offenses lead to justification. Contrast number three, verse 17. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. All right? Contrast number three, sin caused death to rule. Grace causes life to rule. 
Now, stop thinking about the world as a whole for a second and think about your life for a second. Do you want your life to be ruled by death? Or do you want your life to be ruled by life? That's an easy question. There's nobody who's going to pick death unless you're so wrapped up in video games that you think death is cool and fun. Everybody picks death on that question. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody picks life on that question. I want life. I want my life to be ruled by life. Okay, then you better choose grace. Because sin causes death to rule. And that death is not just talking about the one that puts you in the grave. It's talking about death of everything. Death to your hopes. Death to your dreams. Death to your ambitions. Death to all your preparation, your education, your investments. All of it comes to nothing if you choose the the path of sin because sin causes death to rule. If you choose for sin to reign in your life, there is no winning the game. I don't care what you try, you are not going to outsmart the God of the universe. Sin is our doing, not his. Grace is God's doing. If you allow sin to rule, that which man has chosen, then death will reign in your life. If you allow grace to rule, then life will rule in your life. Contrast number four. This is the most complicated, but it's worth focusing on. Contrast four, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. All right, now listen carefully. Here's the contrast. In both sin and grace... One man's actions affected everyone. The difference is that with sin, the action was an offense and the effect was that all were condemned. In grace, the action was righteousness. Somebody who did ultimate right. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness from the the moment he was born. I'm talking about his human life here. From the moment he was born until he ascended to heaven after he had died and risen again. He did, he fulfilled all righteousness. So in grace, the action was righteousness, and the effect is that all had the opportunity to be justified. That was a long sentence. Let me read it again. Actually, it was a couple of sentences. In both sin and grace, one man's actions affected everybody. The difference is that in sin, the action was an an offense, a a crime. And the effect was that all were condemned. In grace, the action was righteousness. And the effect, effect is that all have the opportunity to be justified. Two men affected every person who has ever lived. One in a negative way, Adam brought sin. One in a positive way. Jesus brought righteousness. It's an awful complicated chapter, but that statement right there is as simple as it gets. I don't care what, what race you are. I don't care what religion you are, what you're back. You say, well, I'm, that's so good for you, but I'm not a Baptist. We're talking facts here. 
We're talking something that the Bible teaches has affected the human race for its entire existence. And you must choose whether or not you're going to believe what God says. And God says, two men have affected every person who has ever lived. Adam, the man of sin, affected us negatively by introducing sin. And Jesus, the man of grace, affected every person by giving us the opportunity to be justified. The condemnation, and here we are for the Mr. Hyper-Calvinist limited atonement guy. If you don't know what I mean, that's fine, but some of you do. The condemnation of Adam's actions reached every person. And this verse says clearly that the opportunity of Jesus' actions reaches every person. Contrast number five, verse 19. We're getting close to the end. You're going to get out early today, all right? So focus with me, and then you can get you your turkey casserole, turkey soup, turkey omelets. Turkey ice cream, whatever you're having. (laughs) Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be righteous. Contrast number five, sin works through the disobedience of Adam. Grace works through the obedience of Jesus. The difference between sin and grace is the difference between disobedience and obedience. Adam was tempted, he gave in. Jesus was tempted, he did not give in. He endured, he obeyed. We think of Adam and a tree. The Bible never says it's an apple, but we all picture an apple. I think it was a peach, frankly, but because I can't stand peaches. But actually, I'll be honest with you, I think it's a fruit that, has been since banned. I think God says, you know what, we're not going to put that one in the grocery store. That's, that's, we're done with that one. But we picture Adam with a tree. We picture Jesus with a tree. We picture that moment with Adam where he, and Adam actually, his temptation was not, oh, it looks so good. Oh, I really want it. Oh, I bet it's tasty. Adam's temptation was, oh, man, I'm so overwhelmed with this woman, and now she has gone over to the dark side, and I have to go with her. See, Eve's weakness was in her logic, her emotion overtook her, her brain. Adam's weakness was her. I better leave that one right there. I could get myself fired here. But um, so Adam condemned us all because he was disobedient in time of temptation. Now we see Jesus facing the prospect of the tree in the Garden of Eden. And I don't think for a second that Jesus was contemplating not going to Calvary. Not for a second do I. I don't even entertain that possibility. But he was asking God for some other way. I believe this is what he was asking when he said, Father, 
remove the cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I believe what he was asking, Father, I submit to your will. Is there any other way to get this done without me being separated from you? What we don't understand is the horrible eternal suffering that took place when God turned his back on God. And Jesus knew that was coming. It wasn't the crown of thorns. It was not the beating. It was not the bleeding. It was none of that. He was man enough to take that. It was the prospects of being separated from God the Father. Father, remove the cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And if we could call that, I don't know if we can rightfully call that the hour of temptation. I think maybe, I think maybe that'd be an accurate classification there. Jesus withstood the test. He passed the test. He obeyed. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He obeyed. So contrast number five, sin works through the disobedience of Adam. Grace works through the obedience of Jesus. Contrast number six, verse 20. This is, we just, I preached on this just a couple of months ago. I want to tell you what, this, is, this, I, this verse blows my mind every time I read it and think about it. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered in the offense that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Okay, now do the logical math here. This verse is saying that the law, this, i got to back up because this, this just, my head might just blow right off my shoulders. This, this, is, this is what this verse is saying. The law makes our sin abundant. Isn't that what it says? The law entered the defense might abound. The law makes our sin abundant. Our sin makes God's grace abundant. I, I, you, I cannot explain that because I cannot understand that, but that's what it says. The law, the Ten Commandments, makes my sin abundant. Oh no, now my sin is out of control. Oh my goodness, but that's okay because sin makes God's grace abundant. Do you not see the contrast between sin and grace? The law points to us and screams, Sinner! Our sin points to grace and says, Forgiven! Contrast number seven. Verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Contrast number seven. When sin rules, death is the end result. When grace rules, eternal life is the end result. What you see all around you, folks, go look at the news, read the paper. You say, man, it's insanity. Can a day go by without some gunman shooting some people somewhere? Can a day go by without terrorism and fear and, and corruption and government and it's, it's, it's insanity? It's all connected to sin and death. What you see around you is the effect of sin ruling. Sin is ruling and it's out of control. 
But in this, the middle of this broken down world, pay attention to the lives that are filled with peace and joy and love. I just heard the other day, I get uh, Glenn Beck's podcast on my phone. and So they're broken down into three-minute, five-minute, ten-minute stories. And he was talking on the phone to a man who is a priest. I'm pretty sure it was in Syria. Who is, has been kidnapped and is being tortured, was, was being tortured for claiming the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what, he, here's what he said. He said, every night that I was in captivity, they tortured me. They beat me. But every day when I was in prison recovering from last night's torture, this is mind-boggling, every day, I'd see one of my tormentors peeking around the corner, looking this way and that way, saying, can I... Can I speak with you? Sure, come in. He'd say, uh, my life is a mess. Can you help me? Can you help me with my marriage? Can you help me with my children? Can you help me with my emotional stability? And he'd sit there and he'd show, give that man principles from the Bible. And the very next night, that same man would be among his tormentors. He said it didn't happen once. It happened day after day after day. That's hard to comprehend. But do you know why that happens? Because even the Muslim terrorists can see the difference when grace rules in someone's life. I do not know what is going to happen in our country or in our world. It is definitely scary. To deny that, you've got your head in the sand. It's scary. But here's what I do know. If grace rules in your life, not only will you be okay and say, I don't mean you won't have to give your life for Christ. You very well may have to. But you will live day to day within God's peace. And you can help other people to live within God's peace. I don't know if we can turn our country around at this point. I don't know if, if, if God will. It only happen if God chooses to send what we call a revival. But I know this. We can help one more person whose life is under sin to choose for their life to be under grace. And that's my strategy. That's my game plan. That's what I'm going to give my life to. If God, in his sovereign wisdom, chooses to send us a spiritual awakening, I'm in. But if he knows that that's not what we need nor what we deserve, then I know this. My mission is to cause one more person whose life is ruled by sin to make the choice for their life to be ruled by grace. Here's the amazing thing, and I'll say this and we're done. The amazing thing about this 
Adam is the man of sin. Jesus is the man of grace. Even Adam chose grace. So the man who brought sin into the world said, I ain't having this mess. I'm getting under grace. The minute God offered him grace, he said, yeah, I'll take it. If you're here today and you have made Jesus Christ your Savior, you have chosen to receive him as your Savior from sin, you are under grace. And those seven things, and there's so much more the Bible says about grace, but those seven particular things, they're yours. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I can't beat around the bush here. You are under sin and you are damned to hell. You can walk out of here and say that's the most offensive thing I've ever heard. And if you do, God bless you. I'm glad that you were here today. Or you can say, well, I can clearly see you didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. It's not just there. It's in hundreds of other verses that I can show you. Our sin has damned us to hell. Jesus died on the cross to bring us grace so that we would have another option besides our sin. And every one of us, we've already chosen sin. If you're old enough to understand right and wrong, you've already chosen sin. And now here stands grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, I died for you. Will you choose grace instead of sin? Once you choose grace, it's done. There's no going back. You'll never be under sin again. But you do have to make that choice. Let's bow our heads together this morning.